Good morning, High Point Church. My name is Andy. Great to be here with you today and the lead pastor here at High Point. And it's always a pleasure to get to worship with you online. So welcome and a special welcome to you if this is your first time. We're kicking off a brand new series today called Summer Break, a break from the norm. And so we're going to be preaching over the next several weeks things that have just been sitting on our hearts as a leadership team. Um, not only are we preaching some, some, some messages that are near and dear to us, I'm rocking my summer break shirts right now, guys. I mean, we're in the middle of Georgia. It's hot. I've kind of got the cabana vibe kind of going a little bit. This shirt, well, not a true cabana shirt. It's got, I know some of you are already looking at it and you're thinking, what does Pastor Andy have on his shirt? Coconuts. That's right. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid, <laughs> right? We're, we're staying cool during the summer here in Georgia. We like to have a good time here at, at High Point Church. We are serious about fun, and we are serious about faith. And so we're going to jump right into it today. This is a message that has been near and dear to me. It's been kind of cooking a bit. And so here's what I want us to consider. Um, how do you change your city? Specifically, how do we change our city for the glory of God? If you are new to faith, um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you're, maybe you're sitting here and you're kind of wondering, oh, is this, is this stuff really true? Well, the fact that you're here and you're watching, it tells me that you desire some kind of impact for your, for your life to make some kind of impact, right? You're, you're curious about this relationship with God. If he's real, what can he do in my life? What does a relationship with him look like? What could he use me to do, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you've been a Christian for a long time, many times you just you desire for God to use you in some way. You want to you put your head on your pillow at night and feel like that you have made some kind of difference, that you've contributed in some way to the world. Do we not feel that way? I know I do. And whether you have been a Christian for 47 years or four minutes, or whether you're still on the fence, everyone wants their life to feel as though it's making a difference. And so the title of today's message is literally how to change our city. Or another way to say it would be how to make a difference in our city. Turn to Acts chapter nine today. We're gonna to be talking a little bit about a man named Ananias and his engagement and relationship with another man named Saul. And Saul, also known as Paul, he is, uh, he's breathing murderous threats out to Christians. He is not a Christian. He does not follow Christ. In fact, you could say his life is the exact antithesis of it. He's very religious. He's devout, right? He's incredibly knowledgeable, and he's appealing to the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, and he's getting permission to have people who've put their faith in Jesus arrested. He's getting permission to have them rounded up Killed, crucified, murdered, all the things, right? Saul is numero uno when it comes to the blacklist uh, against Christianity. 
And so we find ourselves uh, in, in Acts chapter 9, Saul is on his way to arrest some more Christians and God blinds him with this powerful light and reveals himself to Saul. And you can read that at the beginning of Acts chapter 9. That's actually not the emphasis of our, of our message today. Ours is what happens on the heels of that with a guy named Ananias. Saul's blinded by the very Spirit of God. Blinded. He's taken to the city of Damascus where he's sitting in a home. Has no idea what to do. God's shown up and he's shown up big. And now what? That's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Okay, that in and of itself, this is a pretty amazing story already. God shows up, speaks to Ananias in a vision, and gives him the exact address to go to. That's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Right? How many times have you prayed and you just want God to make it so clear to you as to what you're supposed to do? Just give me an address, God, right? I've felt that way many times. Well, that's how God shows up in this moment. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias has reservations, right? As we'll put it mildly, lightly, about what God is asking him to do. He doesn't want to do what God is asking him to do. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wanted to run literally from what God was asking of you? You ever wanted to just dodge, you know, get out of town? Run. We see Jonah doing that in the Old Testament. Jonah doesn't want to do what God is asking of him. And he literally gets on a boat and he begins to sail as far and as fast away as he can from what the mission that God has assigned him to. And here we have God giving an assignment to Ananias. And Ananias, while a little bit uh, more mm, politically correct, I guess you could say, is trying to dodge what God is asking of him. And I think we can also say that that's a bit understandable given the context. Am I right? Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saying yes to God when you want to say no to God is one of the greatest steps of maturity that you will ever take. I'll say that. I'm going to say that one more time because 
it's really true. Saying yes to God. When you really want to say no is one of the greatest steps of maturity that you'll ever take. When, when Amy and I were really beginning to feel called to plant a church, um, we, were, we had plans to move to Greenville, South Carolina. And we had a team that we were putting together and, and it, was all, it was all coming together. We were looking at homes. We were even looking at putting deposits on you know, a, a new house to get built and a new subdivision and all the things that go with moving to a new city. And we went to the church planting assessment center in Wisconsin. Right, And all these pastors from different denominations are there and they're praying for you. You know, They're working with you. You sit down with everything from psychiatrists to pastors to business leaders, the whole gambit, right? Nothing is left uncovered. And at the end of it, they recommended us not moving to Greenville, South Carolina. They did not give us the green light to go plant a church. In fact, they said, you know what? Since you're coming right off of the college campus, our best recommendation for you is to go be part of a church plant. Be part of one. And I was like, God, I'll go anywhere that you want me to go, except Florida. I don't want to go there. In fact, God, I don't even know. <laughs> if, you, if, if you tell me to go to Florida, I might, I might get on a boat and, and head the opposite direction. Like, I don't want to go. Well, guess what God did? He paired me with a person that became my pastor, boss, and friend, Keith Tower, Keith and Jennifer. And where did they live? Orlando, Florida. We met them in Wisconsin at the assessment center. They happened to be part of the ministry that we were a part of, and we hit it off, and they invited us to come, and we went, and literally, I told God, anywhere but Florida, and God said, I've got one place for you, Florida. And Amy and I had to pray and we had to ask God and I did not want to go to Florida. But the reality is that is what God was saying and it was what he was leading us to do. All the stars, so to speak, were aligning in such a way. We just couldn't deny that this was God. I didn't have God show up, by the way, in a vision and give me the address like he did to Ananias. It just, for us, we had confirmation along the way. We could just see that God's hand was in it. And after six years of helping plant that church, we moved there when there were 30 people, right? And the church grew. It's a great church, High Point Church in Orlando, Florida. We felt the call to, to plant again. And I literally, I should have learned the first time. I said, God, I'll go anywhere, but I don't want to move to Atlanta. I'll go anywhere, even anywhere in Georgia, Tennessee, the South. I'll move back to St. Louis, where I'm from. I'll go anywhere, but I, I can't stand the traffic of Atlanta. I, you know, I'd been driving from Orlando to Nashville to visit family, and so we kept getting stuck in traffic, and we would get through downtown Atlanta, and we'd get into the northern suburbs of Kennesaw, where we would stop, refuel, get gas, get some Chick-fil-A on Barrett Parkway, and, and, and I just was over it, and I thought, I said, God, anywhere but here and what did God do literally all of a sudden there's a stirring in her heart for this area of Kennesaw and I thought you've got to be kidding God anywhere but dot 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 
And then a family from our church in Orlando took a job, Jasmine and Kellen Shervington, and, and began to move into this area. And so now we knew a family that was really moving in proximity. There was also a university, and we had a passion for college students. And Kennesaw State was the fastest growing university in all of Georgia. And, and again, what happened? The stars began to align. God's will was being made revealed to us. It was being revealed to us. And I had told God no, but I had to eat my words and do what I did not initially want to do. And there are so many times in your life where God shows up in such a way where he is is leading you to say yes, even though your flesh wants to say no. The inside of you doesn't want to do that. And you know this if if you've parented children. You know this in going to the gym. You know this in just every area of life. Most oftentimes, the areas that have the biggest return, the areas that give you the biggest reward are things that you've got to work at. And you don't initially want to do it. And yet when you do it and when you surrender to it and surrender to the process, oh, the reward that comes from experiencing it, from saying yes, even when you don't want to. When I was a college student, and I mean, and also then on staff at a church as a campus pastor, I was, you know, in my young 20s. My pastor's name was Steve, Pastor Steve Hollander. And he knew this quality in any good leader, anyone who who desires to lead, to become a, a great leader of any kind. You have to learn how to get the job done and to say yes, even when you don't always want to. And so he would ask me to do things that he knew he didn't want me to do. He knew I didn't want to do just to see how I would respond. Oh, I was the coffee. I was the coffee guy. Go get, go get us some coffee, Andy. Here's my card and, you know, just go run to Starbucks and you can, you know, you can do the coffee run for some of the other pastors and other campus ministers. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that at all. I have things to contribute here. I got things to say. I I, I know, but go get, go get the coffee. Thank you. (sighs) Stack the chairs. Serve, show up early, stay late, get the job done. These aren't things that I just always wanted to do or naturally wanted to do. There were times when Pastor Steve, right, he would call or he would he would ask me to be the guy who would come to his house, pick him up and take him to the airport because he was traveling for some kind of ministry thing. In other words, I was the lackey. I was the grunt. Hey, carry the suitcase, Right. And he would see how I would respond and he would see the pride, right? That would come up inside of me of, of, of not wanting to do this. I don't want to do this. And there were times where I kindly and graciously tried to express that. And he helped me understand what it was, the quality of leadership that he was trying to birth inside of me. And when we look at changing the makeup of a city, the spiritual climate of a city, Ananias, who is a man that we hear very little about in the Bible, what we know of him 
is that he is a man who initially did not want to do what God was asking him to do, and yet he said yes. And he is a part of one of the greatest spiritual transformations in the history of the world. We are practicing Christians today. Uh, obviously because of Jesus and what he did. But there are many, there are great many, what am I trying to say? There are, there, are, there are churches literally today that exist and legacies of Christians and families of Christians that exist because of the efforts of Saul who gets converted and becomes a Christian and begins planting churches in cities and countries all around the world. Who was a part of the initial moment in this man's life? Ananias, and we know so little about him, except that he said yes when he really wanted to say no. So let's break this down just a little bit further today. It's understandable that Ananias would have hesitation, is it not? I mean, Saul is having people killed. And when we read the account of Saul in the scriptures and Ananias in this moment, we forget the fact that these, that these are real people. Right? Like we have distance on the, from the pages of scripture, from it being real life to us. But these are people's dads and moms and brothers and sisters that are dying for their faith. And Saul is at the root of it. And so let's, be, let's just be honest. Right? The, the early church, they're probably not like super excited about praying for this guy all the time. Maybe they're, who knows, they may not be praying for him at all. In fact, they might be wishing something would just happen to this guy. Take this dude out, right? So he'll stop hurting us as a, as a body, as a church, as a people, as a people of faith. And yet what we see is that Saul is blinded by God's light, brought to Damascus, and then, and then Ananias is, is sent to the house on Straight Street to pray for him that his eyes might be restored and he might come into saving relationship with Jesus. Now, if you're Ananias, are you thinking to yourself, uh, I don't want to do that. And that's exactly how Ananias feels. That's what he expresses. What is it that he says to God? I, I love this because we try to do the same thing with God all the time. God says, hey, go. There's a guy named Saul. You, you know who he is. He's on, you know, straight street. This is what happened. And Ananias looks at, or doesn't look at God, but he says to God, hey, um, verse 13, I've heard many reports uh, about this guy and all the harm he's done. He's, he's, he's taking a moment to inform God about the situation. Don't you love that? Like, God, I... I think you may have the wrong guy. Um, are you sure? You got this right? Because last time I checked, this guy is not good. If you've started the new like Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which is amazing, by the way, Saul is one of the Inquisitors, okay? That's who he is in the story. Yes, I just threw in a Star Wars nerd tie-in. I don't care. It's amazing, Okay. That's who Saul is in this moment. And, and, and Ananias is like, God, let me, let, me help, let me help you out. I don't think you've got your facts right. And when God is, is asking us to do things that we don't like or don't want, is not our first reaction to try to inform him of our situation. Now, you may not actually verbalize it, but you feel it and you express it and you think it. And, and, you know, God, God wants you to speak to that person, to go pray for that person. And in your mind, you're thinking, mm, no, 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 no. 
I don't, God. Number one, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, so thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I'm also really busy. I don't know if you're aware, but like I've got a lot going on right now. And taking the time to go talk to that person is just, it's just not gonna work really well. And so we, we have this kind of passive way of trying to justify where we are and not doing what God has asked us to do, even though we know it's God, even though we know it's the Holy Spirit. We've got an ability to kind of just dodge it and sidestep it by, by trying to inform God of our situation as if he doesn't really know the details of your circumstances. I've got news for you. God knows everything. He knows what's going on in your life. And there's a reason he's choosing you to do it in the same way that my pastor knew that I needed the quality of, of learning to do things that I didn't want to do for the sake of learning how to say yes to God. Of, 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 of pushing against the pride in my own soul and in my own flesh and learning to simply say, God, oh, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't feel good about this. I'm scared about this. I'm afraid of this. But because you've asked me, my answer is yes. Because you are the God of heaven and earth, because I know who you are, my answer is Yes, I trust you. See, we have what I call yeah, but examples or yeah, but excuses maybe is a better word to use it. And Ananias had one and it's understandable. We, we get it. He's afraid. But think of in your own life the, the, the yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. But God, are you, I don't think you're up to speed on this. Let, let, me, let me hit you with a couple of these. Um, maybe you should stop living like that and repent of your sin. Oh, wow, just coming out with it, Andy. That's exactly right. Yeah, but God and I are tight. We have this thing, we're tight. He gets me. False, okay? That is not true. You do not have this special thing with God. You have a relationship with him. Don't get me wrong, right? But it isn't on your terms. It's on his terms. And when he says to repent and this is right and this is wrong, well, guess what? Whether you want to or not, the answer needs to be yes, Lord. Maybe uh, you should be part of a church and you feel that on the inside. You know the church, a church family is the thing that you need but you justify not being a part of it and staying on the fringe because, well, I've got my job and my job's got me working and I'm, I'm busy and I just can't really do it. You probably can. You're just probably not rearranging that schedule the way that you know that you could. Are there scenarios where it just doesn't work? Of course, but many times it's a yeah, comma, but excuse for not doing what God is asking you to do. You need to forgive, but God, yeah, but, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Uh, you, you, 
I want you to do this. I want you to do that. But God, that's going to make me uncomfortable. Yeah, but I know you want me to be happy. Yeah, but um, surely you don't want me to be in pain. Yeah, but dot, dot, dot. There's always something that will exist for why you can ignore what God is saying to you. Most of the time when God is is pushing me into new places, when he's growing me in my leadership, when he's stretching me as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, it's asking me to do things that I do not naturally want to do. And I have to learn to say yes, even when I don't want to. God says give. God says be generous. God says in the Bible to tithe, right? Well, I just, no, no, yeah, but my situation is one where I can't, I just can't really do that. I'm going to hit you straight. I, as a pastor, I love talking about money. I know that's a weird thing to say, and that can be distorted, and that clip could be taken out of context right here, right? But hear me, as a finance major in college, I love talking about money because it's the, it's, it's a thing that is a resource from God, but it's also something that gets jacked up in the hearts of men and women so easily. But understand this truth. If God says give, and God says to tithe, to give a tenth, then that's what we do, right? That's where, that's where this thing begins. It's what we stretch ourselves to do. We say yes, even if we can't get all the way to a tenth, right? We start giving consistently and we start giving faithfully. And oftentimes we say, no, I can't do that. And yet we go out to eat. We go on vacations. We spend lavishly here, 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 and here. And then we say, well, we can't give over here. And I want you to hear this. And I want you to hear it graciously. You are ignoring what God says. You are saying no to him when when you need to be saying yes. And you're wondering why you never seem to have enough. God says, if you would make my kingdom your priority and give here first, I'll take care of everything else. And yet consistently, we put our kingdom first and we wonder why the Bible doesn't seem to come true in our own life. Say yes, even when you want to say no. Learn to hear him, obey him, respond to him, and do it. And if a people, a church, will begin to live this way with God, passionately, uh, with the fire on the inside of God, wherever, whenever, whatever, even though I may not want to because it's who you are and it's because I know you, I can trust you. Whatever you say, I'm going to do. When a people begin to live this way and embody this, a city will be changed. A community will be changed. It doesn't take 5,000 people or 500,000 people. It takes an Ananias. One person who says, yes, Lord. I'll do it. I'll go. Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go. Even after Ananias informed God of the situation, God says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God said, go. And Ananias went. It was as simple as that. Ananias is mentioned only one other time in the entire Bible in Acts chapter 22. 
You know what he's mentioned for? He's mentioned for having such a great reputation among the Jews in Damascus and for being somebody who obeys God. That's it. The person who's writing about him is Saul, whose life has been turned upside down by Jesus Christ. And when he's giving the account of how it happened, he refers back to Ananias. And he says, this guy, my paraphrase, of tremendous reputation among the Jews in Damascus, known for being obedient to the law. This is what he did. And my life has forever changed because of it. Because this man said, yes. Even when at first, all he wanted to do was say no. What are you going to do? What's God asking of you? What is God impressing upon your heart that you know is God, but you keep dodging, you keep ignoring, you keep rejecting, you keep persisting the other way? It might be this seemingly innocuous decision that needs to be made. It might actually be sin that you just are continuing to persist in, knowing that it's, it's a life that you shouldn't be living. Maybe it's walking across the street and actually having a heart for your neighbor and you know I should meet them. You know I should, you, you, you know you should, you should embrace a, a heart that cares for the people around you, but instead you just continue living in your own little bubble, in your own little world, and you don't get out and let God use you. You just refuse it. And you hide behind different things, excuses for not doing what you know God is asking you to do. What's God asking of you today? Say yes. Ananias. Yes, Lord. I want you to go to the house on Straight Street. Saul's there. God, I... I don't know if you're aware I am. Go anyway. What's your decision? Is it going to be yes? Or is it going to be no? If we'll be a people who say yes, we'll see a community changed. We'll see a people change. We'll see a city changed. And that's how the kingdom grows. Want to make a difference? Say yes. Father, I thank you for this time together today. Lord, I thank you that in this moment, Lord, as we are watching online, Lord, we're being moved to, to say yes to you. And whatever, wherever, whenever people are watching this, God, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would move us and strengthen us to say yes. Lord, speak to us in ways that we hear and that, that are clear and help us to say yes to you. If you're watching and, and the, the first yes that you need to make is one of simply following Jesus and putting your faith in him and, and you're coming to a place where you realize that Jesus is who he says he is. Well, today's your moment to say yes.
Say, Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Lord, today I choose to follow him as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for his death on the cross that was enough to conquer sin and death. I choose this man, Jesus, fully God and fully son of the living God, and I choose to follow him today. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Uh, before uh, we finish up, though, uh, we wanted to take a minute and we want to celebrate communion with you today. Um, we believe that Jesus is the son of the living God here at High Point Church. And as such, um, we take the time to worship him. And one of the things that we see in the Bible as a part of worship, as a communal part of worship, is the act of taking communion together. Um, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to take just a second. Slide's going to come up on the screen. It's going to give you time to go get your communion supplies. We're going to be right back here to take communion together as a church. See you in just a second. Welcome back, and we're going to take communion together in this moment. And uh, I have right here the juice. I have the bread, and what the scriptures teach us, um, what we see Jesus doing in the Last Supper. As he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, take this in remembrance of me. In other words, when you take the bread, remember me and remember my body that's broken for you. In the same way, when they would take the cup, the wine, uh, he said, take this in remembrance of me and remember my blood that has been shed for you, spilled for you. And that's what we do in communion. It can look, of, uh, it can vary in terms of how you celebrate it and how you do it together. But in this moment, we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the juice, and we're going to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us. So wherever you're watching from today, you can go ahead and take the bread. Remembrance of Jesus' body broken for you. And you can take the juice. In remembrance of Jesus' blood spilled for you. He died for your sin and for the sins of the world. That we might have life in him. Jesus, we thank you today. Even as we take communion and we celebrate with you and, and because of you, Lord, all around the world as we watch online, wherever we're watching from, different places in the city, in the states, God, we celebrate who you are, Jesus. Your body broken for us, your blood spilled for us, your death on the cross, it gives us life. We are so thankful today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Great to celebrate communion with you. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week.